All your waves and breakers have swept over us. Let's keep on worshipping. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with us. So I adapted that from Psalm 42, if you want to take a look at it. Uh, Psalms are ancient Israeli songs, uh, and that's one where the guy's... Cry, the guy, the songwriter, is crying out in despair, saying that his life sucks and that he's praising God anyway. So that's Psalm 42. Um, yeah, okay, so he, I think what we're doing today is we're going to dig deeper into what worship is. And we're going to do that in a few different ways. But I thought I'd start by telling you about how I, what I thought worship was as a child. And for me, worship was two things. Number one, it was singing in church, uh, obviously. Number two, it was the family stand at Ellen Road, which is the football ground of Leeds United. Now, number one, being, being in church growing up, the kind of church I was at, like, you sung, like, the classic stuff, which is, uh, our God is a great big God. If you grew up in church, you might know that. I've got an assistant. Can you not see me? Oh, that's sweet. That's, thanks, Adam. <laughs> I mean, that might not help the time. <laughs> I kind of thought I was taller than I was, but <laughs> fine. Okay, so, so, so it was like singing, our God is a great big God, and also there's like, he's got a whole world in his hands, like no, that one about thank you, Father, for making me. There was a whole range of songs that we sung. But I had a fairly quirky Christian upbringing, um, and so I also had the, the books of Teddy Horsley read to me. Now, Teddy Horsley was a charismatic evangelical bear. So... <laughs> Uh, t- take a look at him. This is Teddy Horsley. This is when he's having a grumpy day. Look at this. Smashed pot. Cat flying away as he kicks a chair at a cat. This is when he's learning about forgiveness. But Teddy Horsley also, also learned a lot about worship. So what I thought growing up worship was, was, I mean, Teddy Horsley, I mean, he flung his arms wide in the holy place of the Lord. Like this, Teddy Horsley knew how to praise. Um, there was a bit where Teddy Horsley, like, he was worshipping, and he, oh, he'd broken his leg, and someone came and prayed for healing for his leg. Yeah, I know, it was an interesting childhood. But, uh, I mean, I still don't know why, you know, Paddington and Winnie the Pooh get major films, but Teddy Horsley, not one as yet. Anyway, so, worship, it was Teddy Horsley, it was like singing in church, and the other thing worship was, was being in Ellen Road. Now, I don't know if you're into football or you've ever seen any football team but you've never seen um, fans sing like they do at Ellen Road unless you've actually been right here we go marching on together we're gonna see you we're gonna see you win na 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 we are so proud we shout it out loud we love you Leeds 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 <laughs> oh, thank, thanks. That's, that's very sweet of you. I mean, what's more shocking about that song is anyone could possibly think Leeds would ever win. And it's sung entirely non-ironically. They sing it like, actually, like Leeds are genuinely going to score, and they never do. Uh, I went to school in, well, I went to high school in 2003 which was the year after Leeds plummeted the first division and they plummeted another division and then another and yet the fans still sung we're gonna see you win I mean at what point do you stop like what point do you think well maybe that was the past things have changed but that was real worship for these people I mean it's 
I mean, other than the song Stand Up If You Hate Man You, like the way, the way, which I'm not going to sing, um, but might offend people. Um, no, I'm not going to stand up. They're all worse as well. Um, but the, these songs are real worship songs. This is like passion and energy and emotion going into this. You know, when Leeds changed the badge on the shirt when I was in primary school, the, I mean, the furore, the, the anger about that badge change, it was like someone had burnt down the stadium. People care about Leeds United. They really, really care. I mean, the poet John Cooper Clark said, deep as deep as the Atlantic Ocean, that's how deep is my devotion. And he never saw Leeds play Sheffield Wednesday, where seriously, you'd see devotion. I'll tell you a story very quickly. Um, so I was, I was you know, scrolling through Facebook, just like bored one day. I saw when our friends put, um, like, I hadn't seen her probably in like 15 years, and it was a friend at high school. I saw she put, I'm going to church today. And I was like, transformation? The Lord's kingdom come? This person's life has changed. She just meant Ellen Road. Because for that, that is her ch- for her, that is her church. So worship meant two things. It meant singing in church, and it meant Ellen Road. As I've got older, I've realized maybe worship is bigger than those two things. Maybe, maybe those two things are a little bit rigid. I've traveled a bit and seen people worship in all different ways and different ethnicities, different kinds of denomination, different kinds of religiosity. And you see that actually worship is, when it's more than just on a Sunday, there's types of worship that expand right across people's lives. And also, worship is more than just football. Um, It's actually in loads of different activities, loads of different methods, loads of different ways people feel about worship change that expression. So, as we begin, before I tell you more about what I think worship is now, I want you to turn to the person next to you and say what worship means to you. And if it doesn't mean anything to you, I know it's like a slightly cultish word sometimes, I feel like worship. I feel of all these words, worship is the weirdest. Um, So if worship doesn't really mean anything to you at the moment, just say when you've encountered some kind of worship. So go, turn to the person next to you, what does worship mean to you? So worship means lots of different things to lots of different people, but I think there we got some idea of what it might mean here in G2, but across the world in lots of different churches and lots of different cultures, worship can mean a wide variety of different kinds of expression, different kinds of creativity. Um, one of the things I've been thinking as I've been figuring this out is we often use the word worship to put boundaries on our communities. We say... we. Maybe we don't always mean it, and I don't think you guys are doing it here at all, but often the way worship is used, I find, is to say this kind of creative expression is well, it's, it's legitimate, and you guys are on the inside, and this kind is not good, and you guys are on the outside. You are false worshippers. And so we, like, we put boundaries as humans into it. I think this is because worship is actually, I think, quite fundamental to who we are as people. Now, I don't think that's just for people that call themselves religious. I think that's actually for all of us, that worship is a part of our lives. And therefore, when something's really important to us, we often use it to divide up who we think are right and who we think are wrong, who we think are on the inside and who we think are on the outside. You see it all over. You see it in the Rwandan genocide in in the 90s, like the different kinds of worship between the two ethnic groups that were fighting out between each other. 
they had different ideas of what worship meant to them. Here in New York, we've got a, a very long history of divided worship. If you go down the street down there, and you go to the, the Black Swan Inn, I think it's called, on Pizome Green. So in there, in the 16th century, a woman called Margaret Clitheroe hid a load of Catholic priests and worshipped with them. But the state didn't like it. So the state found Margaret Clitheroe and crushed her to death on a bridge. Which is not funny. No, you're right, not to laugh. Um, but it's, it's what, we saw, what you see in lots of different hotspots all across history is people choosing who is valid in worship and who isn't. Margaret Clitheroe was in genuine danger of her life because she wanted to worship in a certain way that wasn't allowed by the state. And this isn't only a 16th century thing. This is happening all across the world at the moment. There are different ways people think about what worship means and therefore what it doesn't mean, what you're not allowed to do. But I think that's because a lot of these words that mean something to us often become tools for us to make sense of who we are. Worship is actually central to our identities. It's central to our cultural identities, to who we are specifically as well as our one as humans. If you look across different um, groups of people, you'll see that the way they worship tell, could tell you a lot about who they think they are, about the kind of memory they have as a community. So you get it. So I studied Ghana for a long time, and I basically bring it up in every talk, because if you study something for five years or more, you don't actually have enough forums to talk about it. So you're, this one is mine, where I just tell you about Ghana. Um, so in, in Ghana, there are, there are ethnic groups where they, I mean, well, actually, I'll tell you what, there was a, the church I, I went to for a while, they, they, they met up two hours every night to pray about ancestor worship because it was such a big issue in that church at the time. Two hours every night because for that group, I think they're mainly Gar, which is an ethnic group, they, they realized that actually this went to the heart of who they were as a church. and Actually, there were some real issues with it. Ancestor worship meant a lot of them, meant a lot to who... That what their story was as a people. And even when it's not as explicit as that, I think worship means a lot uh, to us, and therefore it tells a lot about who we are as a community, who we are as a culture. I think that's why it gets used so badly, is because actually it's so important for us to make sense of ourselves and make sense of others around us. So this is part of why it's a building block for G2, because it's a big part of what we do as a community, is worship together. So what does worship mean for us? What do we think it means? So one of the things that I think is helpful as we, as we unpack this is at G2, I think worship, actually, you can't do it wrong. I think that's one of the first things to say. You can't, we don't think that you can worship wrongly. There's not an area of your life which can't have worship in it, that doesn't have worship in it in some way. So if you bring up Romans 12, the message one, it says, so here, this is a letter from Paul, the Apostle Paul, who's one of the first Christians, uh, and he's writing to a church in Rome. The church in Rome, we're not thinking like a big building, but like lots of little groups of believers that are pretty scared and quite intimidated because they're starting this new movement in the heart of the empire. And he, he writes to them, this is, an, this is a message translation, here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. 
Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. But I want to go back to that bit in red. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around, and place it before God as an offering. If you take nothing else away from today, this is what we think worship is. It's your everyday walking around life. It's what I was getting at in Psalm 42 earlier. It's your normal parts of your life. It's your playing volleyball. It's your ceramics group. It's your slam poetry group. It's your football, yeah, it's your rugby, but it's also your art. It's your photography. It's your social media. It's your study. It's your work. It's your job that you don't really like. It's the way you interact with your family. It's how you get up in the morning. It's how you go to bed. Worship is part of our whole lives. Because worship is about expressing who we are in love of something, of an object. There is an object which we worship. That might not always be God. It may be ourselves. It may be someone else. In some of the things I've been talking about before, it might be that there's a key leader people worship, or it might be a lifestyle people worship, or a group of people, or a flag. But worship is part of what we do as people. It's part of our everyday life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work and walking around. You can place all of that before God as an offering because already it's being offered to something. So worship, I don't think, is something you can do wrong. I don't think, you, I don't think there's a method that's not the right one. Now, you may say to me, my cannibalism society worships, and I'm not sure you agree with that. Or you may say to me, well, actually... Human sacrifice doesn't sound like a great idea. How can that be a legitimate method of worship? How can that be in your group of anything goes? Okay. <laughs> you may say that, and I may not have an answer. <laughs> but I am going to try. Let's turn to Genesis 22, verses 1 to 14. And I want us to look at the first act of worship. And we may find some things that are quite surprising about it. So, Genesis 22, verses 1 to 14. If you have Bibles, get them out. There are some dotted around. I think you can take a look at them. Um, there's, I'll, I'll stick it on the screen as well, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't also read along with me. Um, it's, sometimes I think it's just helpful to just have it in front of you, because then you remember it's part of a big story. It's often when we snip things out of you know, text out of the Bible and we talk about it in church, don't realize it's bigger, part of a big, huge narrative. God's story over your life, over our lives, over our lives, over the whole world. So this is just a little part of it, but it's an important one. This is right near the beginning. These are in the, this is in the earliest part of the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament. And God is talking to his follower, his main man, Abraham. And this is where we find a bit of human sacrifice talk and a bit of worship. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moria. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. I'm just going to pause here before we go on and find out the end of the story. This is fairly shocking. And it's okay to be shocked by this. It's okay to find the Bible offensive. It genuinely is okay to actually deal with what is 
surprising here, what doesn't make sense. Don't be put off when parts of the Bible seem strange or seem like maybe they don't fit with your life. Because actually, some, there are things in here that I think could challenge you and put us on new, new courses and new directions that can transform you if we give time to them. Okay, so let's keep going. Don't stop there. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. On his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him there, him on the altar, on the top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear the Lord, fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide, and to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Often when we go to the limits of our reason, the limits of our understanding, we find some really interesting things. If you're a fresher, well, even if you're not a fresher, I encourage you, push to the edge of your wisdom. Push to the edge of it. Push to the edge of your knowledge and see what you find there. Push to the edge of what you don't get. I think here, when we look at this passage, our first, my first thought is, what is going on here? Why is God doing this to his main man, Abraham? Why would God do this? What is happening? How is this the kind of worship that this God would want? If this is our God, how does that even make sense? I think there are three things, if we spend a bit more time with this, that we can get at this, that are really fundamental to how we do worship at G2 and how we can grow as a community maturity around worship. There are three points. And the first one is that worship, we see here, is not a faith thing. Sorry, it's not an ethical thing, but a faith thing. Worship is not an ethical thing, but a faith thing. It's about faith. So Kierkegaard, who's a 19th century philosopher, he underpinned most of modern postmodern thought, if you're ever interested, like Nietzsche and Sartre and that kind of thing. Well, so he was really interested in this passage of the Old Testament. He wrote an entire book on it called Fear, On Fear and Trembling. And in our fear and trembling, he unpacks one of the most interesting aspects of this passage, which is that this is not an ethical act. This is not a very moral thing to do to go kill your son, to, or at least to attempt to. To go take him and put him on an altar, that's a bad thing. So how is this one of the fundamentals of morality in Judeo-Christian society? How is this okay? How is this one of the fundamentals of what we do as church? And what he argued was that you see here in, in Abraham something really special. 
you see that his worship goes beyond his reason. His worship goes beyond what he can see. It's about, more about the love of who he knows, love of God, and confidence in the impossible, and his focus on the eternal than in his circumstances around him. A little bit like the psalmist I was talking about before in, in Psalm 42, where his circumstances are terrible, and yet he praises anyway. Abraham is in a situation where his circumstance, what God's asking him to do, seem so bizarre, seem so painful, and yet he chooses to worship anyway. He chooses to go with his most special thing, with the thing that matters most to him, his son, and put it before God and say, you have it, not me. You have him, not me. I love him, but I love you more. I love him, but I trust you more. And this isn't really that moral or ethical. It's more about faith. It's more about going beyond what he can see. So in, later on in Hebrews, which is one of the uh, letters in the, Old Test- in the New Testament, it says that faith is a substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. The substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And it talks in that letter about Abraham, how Abraham had faith in not what he could see, but in God's purpose that he couldn't see yet. Worship is about faith, not about ethics. Now, we can go on about that more if you want to learn about why that's a challenge to Hegel. I'll talk to you about it later, but not now. That's not for now. But what I can say is that we need to start with that basis of faith. Worship is about faith. It's about expressing something a part of us that may not seem reasonable yet. Number two, worship has to be of something good. Worship has to be to someone worth it. Abraham wasn't just worshipping any old God, any old deity. So when worship is of something not good, we see really terrible things happen. When we worship stuff that's bad, we become bad. Who you worship shapes who you are. It shapes who you're becoming. And that isn't just in the kind of big sense of worshipping some kind of evil leader or something. This is also in the everyday life. If you worship yourself, if you worship your image, if you worship your study, if you worship your grades, if you worship your sport, you will become more like that. You'll be shaped, it won't won't all be bad, but it probably won't be the best. What we've got here is Abraham worshipping the best. Abraham worshipping Yahweh, a God whose character he knows. A God who in the, in the book of Exodus, it says, he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. This is a God who loves Abraham, who loves you, who knows every hair on Abraham's head and who knows every hair on your head. He loves you beyond what you've done and he loved Abraham beyond who he was. Abraham was not the best person around. He was a person God chose. None of you are the best people around. But Jesus chooses you. The reason we worship him is because we can become more like him. When we, when we share ourselves with him, we're shaped to become like him. And that isn't to become somewhere we're not. That's to become who we were created to be, who we are called to be. The way we were made. Worship helps us to figure out the way we were made when it's of something good. It says in Zephaniah, uh, which is a book later in the Old Testament, in, the Old Testament, in chapter 3, the Lord will rejoice over you with singing. He rejoices over you with singing. Not because you've earned it, but because he loves you. When we sing to him, he sings back. And that's the point number three. Worship is about relationship. It is about relationship with God. 
Abraham's huge risk of worship ends with God saying, now I know that, or it ends with an angel saying, now I know that you fear God because you've not withheld your son, your only son. Worshipping a statue, if you chose to worship a statue, and people do, it's going to give you probably a bit back. I mean, if generally, if a lot of people in the area are all worshipping the statue, you'll probably get some social kudos. Like, you maybe even get some money out of it if, like, it's the thing to do, everyone worships statue, and we won't sell to things to you if you don't worship it. You might get something out of it. Maybe the statue has spiritual power. You might get some spiritual power out of it. But ultimately, you're not going to have a great relationship with that statue because it is a statue. The difference here is that Abraham is worshipping a God with whom he has a relationship. And this is what's on offer here. This is what is fundamental to our worship at G2, is we worship a God with whom we can have relationship. And worship builds that relationship. When you bring yourself to worship, when you bring more of who you are, you get way more out. It's the same with any kind of loving relationship. The more you bring of who you are, the more you get out of it. The more you are vulnerable, the more you get out of it when it's a loving relationship, when it's a God you can trust. Worship is about relationship. When we worship Jesus, we grow our relationship with God. In Psalm 37, it says, Delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. He will give you the desires of your heart. Not just like, like tell you where they might be. He will give you them. Why? Because when you worship him, the desires of your heart are shaped to his desires for you. And he can give you those. When we set our hearts on God, he shapes us into something better. We can see ourselves renewed and transformed. Worship is about where we're going. It's about relationship. It's about faith. It's about more than reason. And honestly, I would do it for someone and something that's worth it. We constantly worship things that aren't worth it. So where do we go from here? Where can we land with this? Well, we were talking earlier about how... We were talking earlier about how um, there are all different aspects of your life uh, can, be a, can be of worship. It's about our focus, about our passion. It's about where our attention, our love is faced. So what I think we should do individually is we should choose to offer part of our life to God in worship and see what he does with it. See what he does with it. If you, just, if you want it to be a test, do it for a week and see. See if there's part of your life, part of your, part of your study, part of your work, part of your family, part of who you think, what makes you you, and just give it to him. And that might just look like praying about it. That might just look like saying, Jesus, this is yours. I know I care about this so much. I know I care about my house, my car, my, my flatmates, my, my laptop. I don't know. My laptop broke recently. <laughs> Josh fixed it. Um, <laughs> Just give it over and see what happens. Just see. Just see how we can build relationship with Jesus through giving something over. And I also want us to do this in a corporate sense. And I said that worship isn't about Sunday. It's not about, it's not all about what we do here. But this is a really special thing that we do. Coming together as a body, as a family and worshiping. And I want to encourage you to offer something in this as well. Don't sit back. Don't be passive. And that's not so we get more out of it. It's not so that I get like an ego boost because you sing louder or something. The more you put in, the more you will get out. The more you put into worship, the more your heart is open to God. The more your heart is open to Jesus who loves you. So I'd encourage you to place something before him. Don't bring an offering to church that doesn't cost you anything. Bring something that costs you something. It doesn't have to be financial. 
It can be something of who you are. It can be just a part of your thoughts. So we're going to do that now. If the band wants to come up, we're going to start worshipping. But before you stand up, because we're going to just start singing, and they're, and, they're just going to st- and they're just going to begin. But I want before you stand up to think of something that you can offer to Jesus. Think of something you can give over to him. Maybe forever is too scary, like the rest of your life. Maybe you don't want to give it over for a year or what. But just now, just give it over to him. Just say, just invite him into it. We don't want to bring worship that costs us nothing. Imagine the kind of community we would be if we actually brought something to the table. It's like, it's like with Christmas. Like, you know, you, your mum and dad can do it all, but when you bring something to the table, it makes a difference to the whole family. Yeah, the worship band can sing, and I think they're wonderful, but they're not all of our worship. They're not your worship. They're leaders in it. They stoke us in it. They inspire us in it. It's up to us to bring something. Bring something of who you are. Bring something that actually costs you something. So before you, before you stand, and this might take you ages, so don't look around and be seeing who's standing yet. Okay, this is not a bad judgment. It's not saying, oh, well, he stood really quickly, so he's ready to offer something when he comes to church. And it's not about saying, thinking, oh, okay, well, that person never really stood up, so clearly they don't have a proper faith. It's not it. Take your time over this. There's no rush. You may never stand in this worship. You may stand next week. You may stand the week after. Just something. Just something small. It doesn't have to be huge. Don't bring an offering that doesn't cost you anything. And you may not even have, you may not even be able to think all the way through it. Just step out. So the band are going to play. And they're going to sing. But there's no rush. 